This is an RNZ podcast. In the hours after Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern announced Auckland would be moving back into lockdown, Billy Takahika Jr. did something he'd done many times before and switched on Facebook Live. The New Zealand Public Party leader launched into a familiar refrain. He said the lockdown was planned in advance. The resurgence of COVID-19 was all part of a government plot. We have been saying for over a month now that this lockdown was coming. We did say it would be the second week of August. And um, the intel that we get, guys, so, you know, as I always say, has, um, um, it comes from patriotic New Zealanders that are in government agencies that leak information to us. I've also got military documents uh, from the CDF uh, that are restricted that pinpoint in, in March 25th that they knew that a second lockdown would be uh, was being planned. That's, of course, false. Jacinda Ardern and Director General of Health Ashley Bloomfield have both said they found out about the new COVID-19 outbreak roughly five hours before the lockdown announcement. There's no evidence they're lying and plenty they're telling the truth. In the past, theories like Billy Takahika's might have been dismissed or sidelined. But the blues musician from Whangarei has built up a substantial following on social media since he started posting screeds of misinformation and conspiracy theories during the last lockdown in March. Thanks to what he calls his research, his Facebook audience has grown from a few hundred to more than 20,000. And his New Zealand Public Party meetings have seen packed halls. On Tuesday, Billy Takahika's theory spread rapidly. It was echoed by celebrities, including the Australian chef Pete Evans, who said the lockdown was a scam in a post that linked back to the New Zealand Public Party. A popular Instagram influencer with the handle Blessed and Doubles implied the new health measures were helping usher in military rule. Even Nationals Deputy Leader Jerry Brownlee was accused of engaging in conspiratorial thinking after hinting that the government had known more about the resurgence of COVID-19 than it was letting on. Uh, all very interesting things to have happened uh, a matter of hours before there was a notification of uh, a, the largest uh, residential part of New Zealand going into uh, level three lockdown. So what are you what are you saying there then? Can you just tell what are you what are you saying there? Uh, I'm just outlining facts. But, but what do you mean by that? I mean, are you saying it's not a coincidence that they knew? Well, why don't you ask some questions, interesting, I think? Interesting yeah, maybe you should ask their own questions. These sorts of claims became so prevalent that Jacinda Ardern actually chose to address them multiple times at press conferences on Wednesday. She had this to say about ideas like Billy Takahika's on Wednesday morning. I've heard suggestion that we uh, may have had this information earlier than we have said. There is no reason why we would ever do that. And I hope that you'll hear from the timeline we set out that we have been moved very, very quickly, including informing the public. I do worry that those kind of theories do nothing to support what needs to be collective action from all of us. And on Wednesday afternoon, this was how she characterised Jerry Brownlee's implied allegations. The idea that we would keep information back from the public when that is critical to us being able to look after their health and therefore their financial well-being and their jobs, the idea that we would ever do that is just nonsense. And that's the last I'm going to say on it. Jacinda Ardern's comments highlight a new problem facing the government as it tries to stamp out COVID-19 for a second time. It's now essentially dealing with two parallel crises, the virus and the maelstrom of misinformation surrounding it, which the WHO has termed an infodemic. 
Recent news reports have hinted at the sheer scale of ill-informed and often conspiratorial belief driving that infodemic. An internal Facebook report leaked to NBC this week showed the social media platform hosts thousands of pages linked to the conspiracy theory QAnon, with millions of followers between them. Several recently elected Republican members of the U.S. House of Representatives are associated with QAnon. That conspiratorial thinking has fed into that country's disastrous COVID response, helping to undermine its public health messages. In an article on Thursday, newsroom Sam Sushdeva argued comments like Jerry Brownlee's risk moving New Zealand in the same direction. Making ominous references to interesting facts runs the risk of undermining public buy-in for a longer lockdown should one be required. As the US has torn itself apart over a politicised COVID response as deaths shoot upwards, we've patted ourselves on the back. Such complacency on the health front has proved to be a mirage. We can only hope the quality of our political discourse does not similarly evaporate. Despite their increasingly significant real-world impact, many media outlets still devote few resources to covering conspiracy theories. When they do, it's still often in a bemused tone. This is Morning Report host Corin Dan introducing a segment about QAnon on July 29. Right, still to come before nine here on Morning Report, Australia has its worst day yet in its battle against COVID-19. Nati Awa heads to court over water bottling. And what on earth is QAnon? The journalists who do report seriously on the rise of conspiracy theories encounter their own set of ethical conundrums. They have to weigh up how to cover movements like QAnon without inadvertently promoting them. Several papers have arguably given conspiracies overly uncritical coverage recently. A Gisborne Herald report on one of Billy Takahika's meetings from July 8 was simply headlined Global Plandemic. It led with the startling header. Labour communists Jacinda Ardern and Ashley Bloomfield are complicit in a global agenda of state control that involves the construction of the coronavirus plandemic. New Zealand Public Party founder and lay minister Billy Tekahika made that claim to a packed room at Waikanae Surf Lifesaving Club on Saturday night. The Raglan Chronicle struck a similar tone in its coverage of one of those meetings, spelling out many of Billy Tekahika's outlandish beliefs under the headline post-lockdown Billy Takahika event attracts many. RNZ's Kim Hill acknowledged the risks of giving a platform to conspiracy theorists earlier this month. She had considered interviewing the doctor at the heart of the discredited COVID-19 denial video pandemic before deciding on a different tack. I mean, for example, there was a, a so-called documentary called Plandemic, um, and we thought about talking to Judy Mikovits, who made it, but then decided she was plain deluded. But that spread, and that's all to do with the COVID-19 being, uh, you know, a man-made hoax of some kind. Right, and an element of that sort of borrows from Q as well, because within QAnon, there's this preoccupation with the so-called deep state and this idea that powerful Democrats are secretly controlling the world. Stuff reporter Charlie Mitchell had similar concerns while writing a lengthy feature detailing the rise of Billy Takahika. I guess the key issue here is that we, we sort of have these two competing tensions in journalism where we're, um, we're quite keen not to amplify or give a platform to information that is false or, or misleading, but we also sort of need to cover matters of public interest in a way that's, uh, in a way that's fair, to give people a right of reply and to accurately characterise their beliefs. 
And so in this case, particularly, those two ideas are in conflict with each other. You can't really have both. To accurately characterise what Billy Tekeheka believes, you, you sort of, by definition, have to repeat information that is false or, or at best unsubstantiated. I guess what we decided to do in the end was take an approach that was not adversarial necessarily. Like, we didn't go in all guns blazing, prosecuting a case against conspiracy theories or or Tekeheka specifically. We just wanted to recognise that these conspiracy theories exist, and if you want to understand why, you sort of have to listen to these people and talk to them in a way that isn't judgmental, which is a very fine line to walk. Um, in terms of the New Zealand Public Party, its, it's rise was incredible, um, and it seems to have passed a lot of us by, even me. Um, you know, they, they've been filling out halls with 500-plus people three weeks after they formed, and that's the sort of momentum that, you know, traditional mainstream political parties don't have. It's very difficult to take these vast webs of conspiracy theories and, and sort of present them in a way that um, that doesn't risk, you know, amplifying them or, or just publishing false information um, in a news story. But, but I, th I think it's pretty clear that um, this is something that's been happening for, for quite a while. We, we saw conspiracies emerge, particularly after the Christchurch mosque uh, terrorist attacks. There are a lot of conspiracies emerged around that, and, and the coronavirus has certainly given new fuel to some specific conspiracy theories. So they're clearly proliferating online. It's just a matter of how the mainstream media sort of deals with it. And like I said, I don't think we've we've quite figured it out, and I don't think there's a there's an easy way of doing it. In my opinion, what we need to do is, is recognise that these views exist, and that they reflect something that the people who who hold them are, are not necessarily bad people or or not stupid people. That they that these concerns are coming from a very real place, and it's our job as journalists to sort of probe what that might be, and, and to sort of ensure that we're um characterising them um, accurately. And that's the hard part, I think. Stuff's Charlie Mitchell. Few New Zealand journalists have had to grapple with the question of how to appropriately cover conspiracy belief as regularly as a documentary maker and former TV3 presenter David Farrier. On his blog Webworm, he's kept tabs on the rise of movements like QAnon in New Zealand and carried out interviews with experts on how to debunk conspiracy theories. He spoke to me before Tuesday's lockdown announcement about how journalists should react when they see once fringe beliefs becoming increasingly mainstream. Kia ora, Dave, and welcome to Media Watch. Uh, thanks for having me. So you've spent pretty much your entire working career investigating online conspiracy theories. How does the current level of online fervour compare to what you've seen in the past? Uh, I think what's really surprising about the last couple of years and even the past couple of months is that it's jumped from these obscure parts of the internet, not even that obscure, but parts of the internet you'd have to seek out into the mainstream. And so I think everyone, whether they're on Instagram or Facebook or, you know, walking down the street, they're going to encounter these kind of outrageous ideas very publicly, as opposed to something you'd have to seek out and find in some obscure place on the internet. Doesn't that kind of almost uh, diffuse the power of conspiracy theories? I thought part of the appeal was that you have to seek them out, and it's this hidden knowledge. Yeah, no, you're right, but I think the hidden knowledge has just become more obscure, and so you've got 
everyone that's into this stuff still feels like they are sort of an elite that has this secret knowledge because they've got the most obscure knowledge available and they've got the latest information. And so conspiracies used to be these separate ideas, you know, like 9-11 was an inside job. Did we land on the moon? JFK. There are all these disparate things with this kind of idea that there was this big power behind it all. What it's sort of morphed into um, over the last couple of years is that there is some sort of insider, Q, who knows everything, and he's dropping this coded information online that can then be interpreted by people that are into this stuff. The overall idea is that there's a group of global elites uh, who are running things. Um, They're the ones that invented COVID. They're the ones that are going to, you know, get 5G out there in the community to um, kill us all. They're the ones that are behind Bill Gates uh, wanting to vaccinate everyone, um, Mark of the Beast, Satan. It just, like, blasts out into this huge overarching thing where every different conspiracy leads back to this blanket of QAnon. So, like, 5G conspiracy, we had this during the COVID lockdown that they were just saying that 5G was causing COVID. You're saying that's actually almost a a sub a subcategory of Q. Yeah, absolutely. And it's what we're seeing at the moment with this whole movement around Save Our Children. You know, you've got a group of people that have watched the Jeffrey Epstein documentary on Netflix. They see that this powerful man managed to get underage women for sex. And instead of that being the standalone scandal, now it taps into this whole massive QAnon narrative that Hillary Clinton has been keeping children like locked in underground tunnels for the last two years, you know, making them panic so that they can get adrenaline in their, adrenaline in their blood that we can then drain that then like powers all the Hollywood celebrities to live forever. Every little event is now hooked onto by these people to propagate this bigger idea that uh, there's this huge, powerful group behind every conspiracy in the world. I think NBC just got a leaked internal report from Facebook which showed that there's thousands of QAnon groups, but actually there's several of them that have more than 3 million followers. Do we understand the sheer scale of this? No, I don't think we do. And I think people in their day-to-day lives will brush up against it and they'll see a post in their Facebook timeline saying kids are being trafficked or they'll see a post that says... Uh, 5G might be dangerous. And they're brushing up against all these ideas, not realizing that it all leads back to this like deeply problematic conspiracy theory that is based in complete unreality. And so I think as the months go on, and especially as we head into our election, but especially uh, the election in the United States, where increasingly people involved in politics are... Uh, spreading and often believing a lot of these conspiracy theories, then I think this is just going to get bigger and bigger. And eventually we'll reach a tipping point where I think everyone clocks this. But at the moment, I think there's still this attitude that it's this wacky outlier and we don't need to worry about it. Yeah, which is becoming increasingly unsustainable. And I think that possibly that's shown in something you talked about, which is uh, Billy Takahika, the leader of the NZ Public Party. We now have this QAnon stuff that is actually transferring into our mainstream political discourse. And he's actually making a reasonably 
as these things go, respectable push. Yeah, he's got, you know, you see him in different town hall meetings around the country and people are turning up and they're different ages, they're different ethnicities, they're different from from vastly different backgrounds, but they're all united around the idea that they're deeply suspicious about government control and they don't want to be told what to do and they're going to vote. I think the chances of the uh, of Billy's party getting in are relatively low, but you can't deny the support is there and people are cottoning onto these ideas really quickly. And if they get 1% or something, people might just dismiss them. But is there more to this? You know, the, maybe they couldn't, they can't pull together these disparate strands of support, but would that 1% result uh, sort of disguise or shroud the actual scale of this in New Zealand? I mean, you just look at his Facebook, his, his party's followers are increasing daily by a lot of people, and that's just going to keep happening whether it's this election or next election. You know, people are falling down these, term everywhere, but they're, they're falling down these rabbit holes incredibly quickly, and this stuff can happen very quickly. I mean, Billy TK Jr., he was not talking about 5G killing us and and vast government conspiracies pre-lockdown. This all happened while he was locked in his home, doing his own research on the internet, mm. falling into these ways of thinking, and now he's uh, running a political party. You know, yeah. Jamie Lee Ross jumps on board. And, I mean, you think, you look at something like that, you think even people who are on board with some of Billy TK's suspicion of is what we're being told real or not, the second Jamie Lee Ross appears, you think people would fundamentally just go, oh, God, is he, is so, do we want to be joining this uh, this party like, is this something we want to engage with but it's all out the window it's just it's just people are very quickly believing it all straight away and that's the thing it, it, increasingly if you believe one conspiracy theory because they're all under the umbrella of Q you're going to believe all of them and that's why you get these people who are vehemently anti 1080 they hate 5G COVID isn't real. It's not like, oh, I'm going to believe a bit of this one and maybe not that one. Mm. It's all or nothing. And that is, to me, is particularly remarkable. It's a full lifestyle change, right? It's, it's, like, it's, it's like finding religion. It's, a, it's the same thing. It's like finding religion. It, it's, it's all or nothing. It's like you believe all of the Bible or you believe none of it. It feels very similar to me. Is this a social media problem? Is it essentially people like Billy TK, others like like him, going on Facebook and just finding this full life philosophy and adopting it as they do their own research? Yeah, it is definitely a social media problem, in part because of, you know, which we all know about now, algorithms pushing us towards these story so that if you you know if you click on one wild story you're going to be fed another one straight away so it's partly that and it's also partly that thing of being able to find any community you want so if you are um, suspicious about 5G then there are three really huge Facebook groups in New Zealand that you can join the second you join them you're going to find thousands of like-minded people so it's and and you'll be welcomed. So, you know, in the past, if you had a particularly wacky idea about the world and you brought that up in public, people would probably say, David, that, that's a bit 
that's a bit crazy. Like, maybe that isn't what you... But now if I bring up this wacky idea, you have hundreds of thousands of people that will tell you, yes, you see the light, you've done your own research, you understand this now, come and join us. All those other people are idiots, you are correct. Mm. And that's a big shift as well. And these people are getting together, they're forming relationships, they're breeding a new generation of these people. It's just going to go on and on. Are you quite overwhelmed by it? Are you quite scared by oh, it? I, I hate it. And, you know, I spend a lot of time on social media, so I'm getting a lot of it fed to me daily. But you wake up each morning and there's like a new mad thing that people are believing. And it's very frustrating. I mean, I I wrote a piece recently on my site about how the Save Our Children movement has nothing to do with with stopping child trafficking. It's purely a recruitment tool for people to become engaged with QAnon. And now today my direct messages are filled with people calling me a pedophile sympathizer. You know, it's like suddenly David Farrier, here's a quote, <laughs> David Farrier um, loves pedophiles. Mm. You know, that, and I'm saying, no, 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 no. Of course child trafficking happens. Of course human trafficking happens. But that stuff is being uncovered by real journalists, like the journalists that uncovered the Jeffrey Epstein situation. QAnon followers, there's nothing. There's nothing there yeah. that they've uncovered, and they're never going to. Now, you have written about this on your blog, Webworm, a heap lately. Is, is that mm. kind of a way of just synthesizing this information, trying to get it out? Because you're being bombarded yeah, they're, by they're it. they're trying and, to make and, sense of it, yeah. in a way. And I'm, and I'm trying to understand the world, and I find it easier to write about it and to talk to other people that understand it. I mean, I, I interviewed recently this guy, Travis View, who has been following the Q movement since it started and tracking its growth. And, you know, I would rather... You know, I, I, I love being able to reach out to someone like that for critical analysis and talk to them and get these thoughts together and publish them and share them as well. I mean, I, I tweeted about this piece I wrote about Save Our Children, and, you know, it's I'm really glad to see it spreading because I like to think that in someone's Facebook feed where they're being fed constantly all this mm. essentially bullshit that maybe my article will pop up and they'll read it and go, oh, maybe maybe there is more to this than what I'm being fed by my algorithm. Yeah, it feels like a really desperate attempt, I guess, an honourable attempt mm. <laughs> to do something, right? But yeah. could, this be, could this be done better if, if it wasn't just, you know, a minor celebrity with a blog? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> if it was more mainstream yeah, I, journalists I couldn't, I couldn't agree case. more. I mean, Webworm is I have my few subscribers, I send it out, I have my specific audience I send it out to. I would love to see this stuff being talked about in an intelligent way in a much wider, to a much wider audience, which is why I'm very happy to be on RNZ. I mean, my mum listens to this. I'm not saying she believes this stuff, mum, for the record, but she she's not going to be reading my blog. You know, I think we need to be talking about this stuff uh, on a much grander scale and contextualizing it because I think context is important. You you can't just report that hey, a bunch of people out there believe that 5G is actually going to give us all cancer or it's going to actually give us uh, COVID-19. We have to explain why this stuff's happening, why we're hearing all this dialogue. We have to critically pull it apart. So hopefully we can stop it from spreading further. And ultimately, I think it comes down to educating kids to be much more critical and 
and know how to analyze information and news sources and information sources. Yeah, well, it almost seems like the kids have better critical thinking skills than actually maybe older yeah, people I, that aren't quite as equipped. Yeah, for the I think kids do, but then, uh, you know, that, that's the thing. I thought this a month ago, but then I've been on TikTok a lot, and there are uh, a lot of kids on TikTok now that are discovering conspiracy theories for the first time and are very engaged with them. Do you think that mainstream journalists are just, you know, do they have an appreciation of just how large and scary this is? Is it because it's social media and there's still that cringe there that there isn't necessarily as much serious reporting on this topic as there could be? Yeah, I I think that absolutely. And I also just think newsrooms don't know how to report on it. Like, they don't know who to talk to for analysis. They don't know if, if you're the the six o'clock news, you don't know how to visually show that story. Like they're not, the, the pictures don't exist to break down how a conspiracy theory works and why we're hearing about this crazy stuff about 5G. So I don't know how we tackle that problem exactly, but it definitely needs to be talked about in a, in a wider capacity. You know, I think there's some there's been some amazing reporting on stuff recently breaking down the political party um, that Billy has formed with Jamie Lee Ross and just going through what they believe, how it's formed. So there is some really good long form reporting starting to happen, but there needs to be way more. Do you think it's maybe that these things have never been re- relevant to power before and people mm. don't really appreciate what you're talking about, that there's now this overarching uh philosophy mm. that's giving and the the tools social media to spread that philosophy mm. more widely than in the past so you yeah. know are people just treating it like they treat sort of a fringe anti-1080 group in the past yeah I, I think they are and i think that people a lot of people don't realize that the president of the united states is you know one given day a couple of months ago he retweeted 14 accounts that if you clicked on those accounts were all supporters of QAnon and these ideas that QAnon are spouting spread incredibly quickly. They're all a voter base who are going to vote for Trump. The, the other thing about the QAnon conspiracy theory that I left out is that they all believe that Trump is very aware of this global elite pulling the strings. And at one point, he's going to step up onto that podium and expose the truth. So that's what they're waiting for, like this day of reckoning. It reminds me of being an evangelical Christian and waiting for you know, Jesus it's, to come back. It's the it's same. Just... It's, it's a very similar philosophy. And there's, there's definitely crossover between conservative Christianity and people that are jumping into this QAnon stuff. Um, I don't know why, but it exists. They're the people that voted for Trump last time, and if they are now piggybacking uh, on QAnon as well, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to change how people vote, and um, we're going to end up with politicians in power that essentially don't believe the truth and believe a lot of things that are just objectively mm. false. And that's a really alarming world to live in. That's the US several steps down the road, right? But you're just seeing, like, with Billy TK Jr., are you just saying New Zealand taking that first step? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we're absolutely taking that first step. I don't think before lockdown we would have ever imagined people turning up to a town hall meeting to take seriously someone like Billy TK who told his audience that literally an international assassin had been sent over to New Zealand to assassinate him. Um, a plot that he managed to escape because he um, 
has uh, SAS training. You know, I would argue there was no international assassin sent to kill Billy TK, but that's the world we're living in now where things like that can be said and believed with like no critical thinking whatsoever. Having said this, if mainstream media reports on this stuff, there are ethical considerations, mm. right? And these are things that you've had to think about as well. Like, you can't just say what these beliefs are, right? Because in a way, you're spreading them, you're, you're, you're drawing people yeah. to them. How do you do it? That's, that's, that's the big problem. I mean, I think, like, you know, when the New York Times writes a big piece about um, adrenochrome children or the spin-off writes about this stuff, essentially you're introducing that new topic to people that didn't know about it before. And uh, inevitably, some of those people are going to go, oh, hey, I didn't know about this conspiracy theory, which is true. Um, they read the headline, they don't read the rest of the piece, and suddenly they are down that rabbit hole. Um, I'd argue that this stuff, thanks to Facebook and social media, is going to spread anyway. So the more context we can get around things as we report on them, the better. I like to think that. I mean, the other option is we all shut up, right? And we don't mention anything about it yeah. ever again. But that's not working right because of social media, because they have their own platforms, because they can spread yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, unless Mark Zuckerberg steps in. Yeah, and, and, and all these platforms just thrive on conflict and extremes because that gets people commenting and clicking and staying on the site longer. So there's no way this stuff is going to be muted. There's no way Jack Dorsey um, and Zuckerberg are going to suddenly magically clean the stuff up. They love it. They love the conflict. They love the extreme views. They're doing... You know, Twitter is trying to do certain things, but also it's completely ineffective. They banned a number of QAnon accounts. All those people have come back, and it's just reaffirmed to them that there is a conspiracy, that they are being silenced. So it's pretty tricky. You, however, do actually seem to take steps, but when you write about this stuff, uh, to try and do it well and in a way you, you, and that, that is edifying for people or that helps people. And I guess partly that's that you interview people that are experts on conspiracy theories a lot. Is You, you talk about how best to counter this if, it, if your friends mm. or loved ones fall down this rabbit hole. Mm. Is that the way to do it, to talk, about, to, talk to people like Travis View, as you say? Yeah, I, and... Yeah, I, I have tried on my site to talk to people just to get tips about how to communicate with people because, my, you know, my philosophy in my own life was to ban people or to yell at them and just call them idiots, uh, which can be satisfying to a degree because they sort of are. But I think that's not helping them. That's just going to further entrench them in their own beliefs. So, you know, when I talk to someone uh, like Travis, who's an expert on this stuff, uh, and, and other people uh, like Mick West, who's written about this stuff. Th there are ways to communicate, and, and mostly it is to keep the lines of communication open. And a, a tip I got, for instance, was this idea of steel manning, and that's like the opposite of like a straw man argument. So if you want to argue with someone, you're best to verse up in what the conspiracy theory is so you know it better than they do. And essentially, instead of sort of telling someone, oh, you're stupid, you come to them, you, you sort of meet in the middle and you explain the theory back to them in extreme detail. And in bringing up certain details, the idea is that you can hopefully start to show the person that, hey, you take it seriously because you know this stuff. And just in verbalizing it back to them, but in a somewhat skeptical way, you can start to sort of make them think, oh, this does actually sound a little bit like a little bit mad, like the adrenochrome thing about, you know, draining 
children's blood to feed to Bill Gates and mm. celebs. Like that does sound pretty outrageous when you explain it back to anybody. And so steel man, you know, so I, I think steel manning is important. Um, I think being kind and open to these people is important. And also just showing that there are shades of gray. I mean, you can, you can talk to your friend that's into the stuff and say, yeah, I don't always trust institutions and the government either. I think maybe sometimes they don't have my, my best interests at, at heart. But um, where I start to sort of uh, become a bit sceptical myself is when, you know, I'm pretty confident that, that 5G towers aren't being installed to spread COVID-19. You know, just like start to, start to see where your boundaries Chip are away. and where the lines are. Chip away, like really slowly. Hey, thanks so much for joining me, David Ferrier. It's a pleasure. Good luck. That's documentary maker and former TV3 presenter David Farrier talking there to Hayden Donnell. And on his blog, Webworm, David Farrier has kept tabs on the rise of movements like QAnon in New Zealand, and he's done interviews with experts on how to debunk conspiracy theories.